If you have your Bible, I'd ask you to open it up to Matthew chapter uh, 6 with me. Matthew 6. You know, it's funny it, about church, you know, the uh, some weeks, like, we have a gazillion kids like we do today, and then some weeks we have a gazillion adults, and not as many. How do you predict anything? I mean, what's going to be? I mean, it's amazing, but I'm glad you're here. Amen. I'm glad you're here. I want you to know I've been praying for you this week and uh, just praying for a breakthrough, uh, praying that uh, you're hearing from God, praying that uh, you're moving into new depths of spiritual life for your, in your walk with the Lord. And uh, I just, I really, I really have that on my heart, um, you know, that God is, God is doing something incredible. There is a real prayer movement that's beginning uh, in the United States, uh, like, and we really need it. And um, that uh, the church is gathering together, not just individuals, but the church is gathering uh, together in prayer, concerted prayer. And I want to let you know that I have really had on my heart um, in the summer that uh, we're going to take one Friday night a month and... Uh, and open up the church to have a time together for prayer, where we're going to pray together um, specifically. Um, we're going to pray, we're going to break it down through the summer months, but we're going to pray specifically over families, over government. We're going to pray over the, the business realm. We're going to pray over all the different things. And uh, I really have felt that um, this is the time for us to do it. Part of the problem that happens with us in prayer uh, is that um, we, we at times feel that prayer is out of, that we have to do it, that it's, a, it's like a requirement, that if I'm really going to be spiritual, I, I, I really need to pray. If I'm really going to know God, I need to pray. It's almost like there's a pressure about prayer on God's people. And that was never God's intent, because prayer really is, is actually very is very simple. Prayer is based off your deep need for God, period. Your deep need for God. See, the emptiness that you feel, the, that distance that you feel, that, that loneliness at times that you feel, that, that, um, that uh, weariness that you face in life really is out of a deep need that we have in our lives to be with God, to spend time with the Father. And that's really what Jesus was trying to get across. You know, the disciples are like, man, we want to we learn how to pray like John. John would have taught him an Old Testament pattern. Jesus shows up and he says, all right, here's how you start your prayer. Our Father. That right there was enough to just blow the whole thing out of the water for these disciples. Because, like, uh, we don't call God our Father except that he's our creator. So, what do you mean? No, I want you to, I want you to talk to him like you're in a relationship with him, okay? In a relationship with him. Why do we have relationships? We have relationships out of a deep need in our life for relationship. It is not good, God said, that a man be alone. All right? And so it, and it, it didn't have anything to do with sex. It had to do with that we are not created to be alone. By ourselves, we are created to be in relationship, to be in relationship with others. That's what church is all about. 
hey, I love having FaceTime and all that stuff that we can do on our phones, and I love watching online services, but I'm telling you right now, you still, to build relationship, you have to be with, everybody's got to be present. I'm not, I'm not trying to be critical. I'm saying that you, you cannot. I love my wife. She's been gone all weekend, and I love talking to her, and I can catch up on things on FaceTime, but I can't smell her. And Sharon smells. <laughs> I, hey, she smells. She has a smell. She, I know the smell. I could be in her. I can know the smell of her hair. I know the smell of her perfume. I know her because I have a relationship with her. I can feel that when she, I, you know, I, when I'm with her, I can hear her voice when we're doing FaceTime, when we're, you know, doing the online stuff. But it's not the same because I can't touch her. I can't feel her hand in mine. Now, the question is, do I need that? Well, you better believe it, I need that. I need that. Fit. I'm created to not be alone. Women, you're created to not be alone, to have relationships. Yeah, I mean, I'm not just talking. I need other men in my life, too. Not so I can hold hands with them, obviously. But I need other men because we iron sharpens iron. We, we make each other better when we're face-to-face -face with each other. We're confronting one another. We're dealing with things together. Hallelujah. So Jesus just blows this all out of the water and says, hey, you're in a relationship with Father God in heaven, the same Father I pray to. I want you to know that you can pray just like that. It says, look, hallowed, holy, sanctified is his name. And so he tells us that I'm going to give you the name, the name above every name. That's his name, Jesus' name. Philippians 2, 9, 10, and 11 says that God highly exalted Jesus, gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess things in heaven, earth, and under the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So God the Father has given us, the Bible says that, that name Jesus it's not just because we're saying the name Jesus like it's magic. It's because we're saying the name Jesus because we're in a relationship with the one that name belongs to. And we know that when we speak his name that he is ever present because he said that I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm not going to bail on you. Hallelujah. So Jesus in this prayer, he's, he's busting up tradition He's busting up all this stuff because he's telling, look, it's not about learning how to make your requests the right way. See, that's Old Testament. That's, that's that going through the outer court and making sure your sacrifice was all all right and everything was laid out right and you, you brought the right sacrifice. You read the book of Leviticus and it can blow you away of how that they had to go through all these rituals to be able to get God to, to bring their sacrifice to the Lord. I mean, if you were doing this, you had to bring this kind of sacrifice. If you didn't have any money, very much money, you had to bring this kind of sacrifice. All these different things. And what Jesus does is, is that he comes in and says, I'm taking you past all of that, bringing you right in with the Father, because I'm going to bring you into a relationship with the Father in heaven. Unfortunately, for many of God's people, they're still praying like they're in the outer court. If I do this right, God will hear me. If I do it long enough, God will hear me. Okay? One time I was driving my uh, 
I had a Ford Thunderbird Turbo Coupe. It was an awesome car. This was back in 1988. I hate telling dates because then people go, yeah, I was in, I was in grade school. In 19 I'm like, shut up, please. But anyways, in 1988, and it, I mean, it was this, it was like this, uh, it had that, the, it was blue, but it had those flecks of metal in it. And so it was a really beautiful car. And it actually, it, what, what I loved about it was it had a, it had a, um, a four-barrel Pinto engine in it that they put a turbocharger on. I mean, you know, it's still, it's just a four-cylinder engine. I mean, that's, but buddy, with that tur, it's like getting the Holy Ghost, man. It's like, <laughs> right? It's like every time you push that accelerator in the turbocharger, average Pinto engine becomes supercharged baptizing the Holy Spirit engine all of a sudden. And man, I'd smoked those tires and I loved that car. Well, we were down in North Carolina, Sharon and I, and it had, uh, it had been snowing and we were staying at this cabin where we were away on a prayer retreat. And so we're driving down the road and, and uh, all of a sudden, man, the back end of that, it was a rear wheel drive, the back end of that turbocharger, you know, its tires are about that big wide. I mean, they break loose from the road because they hit some sand and ice. And so, you know, I'm feeling that back end go. So I did what you're supposed to do. You know, you turn into where the back end's go Everybody remember that? You turn into the way the back end's going. And so I did that, and then it started going the other way. And so I turned into that. Well, then the next thing, I said to Sharon, you know, I said, I got this. <laughs> yeah. And the next thing we knew, the car was flying over a ditch, and it landed right in between two pine trees, all right? Now, what happened before we flew over the ditch is what saved our lives. Sharon yelled out, Jesus. See, you don't have to pray some kind of intricate, you know, in your deepest need in your life, you find out that you don't have to pray real intelligent to get, to get help. It's just saying, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Part of what's going to have to happen before the prayer, before prayer can really take off in the church, and, and I think it's happening, is we're going to have to rec recognize our deep need that we have right now. Not the need for our country, not the need for our government, not the need for our finances, not the need for sin, the need for God, that we need the Lord's help. God said in Second Chronicles 7:14, "If my people called by my name will humble themselves." The word "humble" there it means that I recognize that I don't have what I need, but I've got to get it from the one I'm going to. I got to get it. See, I think when that deep need in our lives, in the book of um, Psalm 142, Psalm 42, excuse me, my favorite psalm, uh, I've prayed it a ton of times, uh, verse 7 says, deep calls to deep. Deep calls to deep. In the one translation, it says, my deep need calls out to his deep love. See, I think when we get into the place that we realize that prayer has to be driven by that I, not that I have to, not that I'll be more spiritual if I do it, not that 
there's a trade-off happening and God will answer my petition. But what prayer is me saying, I have such a deep hole in my life, God, that only you can fill, and I've got to spend time with you to get that filled. It's not about my long litany of prayer requests of things I want you to do. It's about, God, I need you. I need you. That's what Jesus was really trying to say in the beginning. Now, is there anything wrong with praying needs? No, there isn't. I mean, the Bible's full of that. Jesus will get into that. We'll talk about it next week when he said, give us this day our daily bread. But all of this before is Jesus saying, look, you have a relationship with the Father. You have to realize you have that relationship with the Father. You can come to the Father. He wants you to come to him. And he wants you to hallow, to make his name holy. He wants you to recognize that he has everything that you need, that he is your source, he is your strength, he is your life, he is, he is the life force that you need. He's your healer, your deliverer. He's not opposed to you going, somebody asked me, is it wrong to take medication? Look, medication's trying to help you, not hurt you. But always remember that when you're taking your medication, that it's God who is the source of healing. God who is the source of healing. When that deep need begins to drive people, it's kind of like 9-11 when it happened, those of you that lived through that. The nation, our nation, went through a period for a couple of weeks of great need. We realized that, we're look, we're not, we may fight wars on foreign lands, but we are not protected here in our country, that things can happen here. When we watch those towers fall, we... We felt that and knew about the deaths of people. We, we knew about what had taken place and how horrible all of that was. For all of us, I can remember, I remember how I felt. I was calling out to God. I didn't have to, you know, I didn't, it was like, Lord, help us. We need, we need you. It's like the one song we sang, if I ever needed you, God, I need you right now. I need you, I need your I don't, look, I'm not, I don't need you to answer a question. I don't need you to meet my request. What I need is I need you, you be, I need you here with me right now. I need you here with my little girl who was in school at the time. They closed the schools down. And she, she told me this here a couple of years ago. She said, when dad, when they closed that school down, she says that we were so scared. I was so scared. And I, she said, what meant the most to me was is that you took me and you stayed by my side the rest of that day until I went to bed that night. And you assured me that you were going to watch over me and you were going to protect me and you were going to take care of me. And I want to tell you today, listen, that's what God is saying to every one of us here is, is that he wants us to come and need him that way. That God, I need you to be with me. I need you to get me through this. I need you to help me, strengthen me. Lord, I don't have all the, I'm not asking you for anything. I just need you. What a difference it made for her that I was present. Well, how do I get God to be like that with me? Our Father. My Father in heaven. Holy is your name. Holy is your name in my life. I revere you. I honor you. I yield to you. Help me. Help me. You know, and as, as, as this prayer, really in the beginning, 
is, is a prayer that happens in the Holy of Holies of your life. It's not, uh, it's not something that's happening on the outer court. It's something that's happening right in that holy place of your life where you're right there in front of God before his throne. As Hebrews says, you're obtaining grace at the throne of grace to help you in your time, in, in your time of need. People say, when's my time of need? Can I answer that for you? Always. Always. And until we get that right in our lives, we'll look for other things to fill those needs that only God can fill. Sorry, my, I was looking at the service and I'm preaching to myself on here. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. It's interesting about this, this idea of your kingdom come because Jesus told them all that, look, if I'm casting out demons by the finger of the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is here. Well, was he was casting out devils. So obviously the kingdom was there. He was there because he's the king of the kingdom. And so he's there. Actually, the, the better word to look at this, the better way to look at this word kingdom is to look at it in it's written in the Greek language, basilio, which means the reign, the reign. So what Jesus is saying in this prayer is, your reign has come. Your reign comes. And so, Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is as done in heaven. So when he's telling them that, look, I want, my, I want you to recognize that the kingdom has come. But the struggle that, that, that I've had with that idea is, if God's kingdom has come, then why do we have so many things that are not right in our world? Right? I mean, why, why is there still poverty? Why, are, why is there still hatred and murder and racism and all the other? Why are they still here if the kingdom has come? And here, here's why. Because the idea behind the word come here in the Greek tense means it's a decision that is made that has a lasting impact. All right? So it doesn't mean that it's complete, it just means it's started. Some of you will remember in, uh, in your history, um, in 1944, we had D-Day. The, the, the military went in, stormed the beaches of Normandy. I mean, a lot of people died, a lot of people died. I mean, it was just, uh, it was just horrible. But they stormed the beaches of Normandy, and by all historians' account, that was the day victory was won over the Nazis because they lost, that battle was so huge and they lost that battle that they, there was no way for them to recover out of it. Now they were still had their death camps, they still had, you know, they were still fighting with the soldiers in little pockets, but the majority of that battle was finished on D-Day. But do you know that actually it took 11... See, we all know about D-Day because there's movies about D-Day, but it actually wasn't until what's called VE Day, which happened 11 months later, that actually victory was celebrated because Germany surrendered unconditionally at that point, 11 months afterwards. So when was the victory won? D-Day. The battle, the big battle was fought on D-Day. But what had to happen was those forces, those, those allied forces had to fight together to make sure that what happened on D-Day was secured throughout all those countries. For that to happen, they had to continue to fight until 
the victory was won 11 months later. That's what the kingdom of God is like. Jesus, D-Day happened at Calvary. He, he, he destroyed. I don't think we recognize what, what he did to the satanic kingdom. I mean, he, he took away all the power that the adversary had. It says that, that he made a public display of him in Colossians. Openly, openly destroying what he, what he had established as his kingdom, the Satan's kingdom. That Jesus appeared to destroy, according to 1 John 3, 8 and Hebrews 2, 14, that he appeared was manifested to destroy the works of the enemy. Well, pastor, if he did that, then why are they still here? Because there is an army that God has called. There is an army that God has called, and he has called them to represent the victory that he did at Calvary until there is ultimate and absolute vanquish. Who's the army? The church. The church. I'll, I'll just give you one thought with this. Government was never supposed to take care of poverty. And they've done a lousy job of it. The church was responsible to deal with poverty. If you gave the church the money the government spends on poverty, we would end world hunger. Does everybody agree with that? I mean, if you gave the church, I mean, if you gave a responsible, I don't want to say because there's a lot of goofballs out there, but, but if you gave a responsible church the money in the United States that's used to take care of the, of the system, Here's, I believe we would absolutely, we could absolutely vanquish poverty. And the church really should have done it. It really should have been responsible for it from the beginning. I mean, it, it was in the beginning. It started that way. The church really did take care. It didn't go to, they didn't have a government to go to, right? You don't go to Rome and ask for, a, you know, time on your utility bill. No, man, you had to take care of it. But see, if the church had that, because the church is the, is the force with the force behind it. The church is the force because the church, what we have is we have a relationship with the Father in heaven. So we have unlimited resources available to us. We have the power and ability that exceeds anything that the medical community could ever provide. That, that look, that government could ever provide. All of that is invested into us. And what Jesus said is when you pray, now look, you're in the relationship with the Father. You've hallowed the name. Now here's what you're going to go do. You're going to go make sure that you enforce D-Day. You're going to go forth. And Jesus said it in Mark 16. In my name, I want you to go out and cast out devils. In my name, I want you to lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. In my name, I want you to go forth and not be harmed. That Look, that you're protected. In my name, these are all things I want you to do in my name. I'm giving you the name. Hallowed, holy is your name. So I give you my name to go forth now under my authority and under my ability. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Flat and plain, we're... We are ambassadors. We do not represent ourselves. We don't even represent Amazing Grace Church. We represent the kingdom of God 
who has a ruler and a king who has defeated darkness completely and absolutely. We are representatives. We don't operate under our own authority. We operate under the authority that he has given to us. Say, well, I just wish the devil would leave me alone. Look, I'm telling you, anybody saying devil leave him alone more than God is, but you keep with your own mouth giving it permission. You look at that thing and say, that's it. No more. You will attack my family no more. You will attack my mind no more. You will attack my life no more. I'm not listening to this negative garbage anymore. That's the end of it. You're not dragging my kids off to hell. Well, I wish I could get a good amen. No, you are, look, God's waiting on you. What, what we're waiting on God, God's waiting on us. He says, look, say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What he's saying is, look, any place you go forth and establish my will, my kingdom is now established there. Because my will is being done. You're enforcing my will on this earth. Mary was talking to Gabriel, you know, there in Luke chapter 1. I mean, it's really, there's so many powerful insights there. But, you know, he's saying, you're going to have the Son of God. Mary says, well, I don't even, have never even been with a man. How can I get pregnant? She's, he says, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And that which will be in you will be the Son of God. And so Mary listens to all of that. And then the angel says to her, nothing is impossible. Last words of the angel, nothing is impossible with God. In the American Standard Version, it says it like this. No word of God shall be void of power. No word of God shall be void of power. And you know, that's all just absolutely tremendous. I mean, that just blesses me hearing that. But it really is the next line that made the whole difference. Because it was when Mary said, see, it's one thing that God said, but it's another is, what did Mary say? Because it don't work if God's saying it and Mary's not saying it. And God said, you'll bear a child. So Mary says to the angel, be it to me according to the word. That word that will not be void of power, be it to me according to that word. According to that word. Look, circumstances didn't line up that that's all was going to work out that way. But Mary said it anyways, just like Abram said it before he ever had a child, 25 years that he began to say what the word says over his life prior to because he believed that no word shall be void of the power that God wants to, that God has already imputed or impugned into that word. So when Mary said, be it to me, according to that word, that's when the miracle happened. He said, well, did it happen right then? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Because from that point on, the miracle was on its way. Your Bible says that the earth, this is in Psalm 52, I think it's verse 5, the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. The Bible says in the last days the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. 
And some people have tried to say, well, that's television and Christian television. That's fine. But that's not really what that's talking about. What it's talking about is, is that you and I representing in this earth that the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. So, well, Pastor, all I see is corruption. All I see is vice. All I see is racism. All I see is anger. All I see is hatred. All I see is murder. All I see is all these things. And that's the problem because that's all you see. Because you're not listening to what he said. You're listening to what the prophets of the land are saying. The prophets of the land are in the media. They're making declarations to all of us of this is what's going on in the world. But look, at some point in, in our lives, we have to realize that we have set ourselves up for failure by listening to the media because they are never going to produce a solution. They don't even know what the answer is. So how can they give you an answer if they don't even know what the answer is? They keep trying to create answers, but then when those answers don't work, then they try to find another answer. So here's what happens in that medium, that media environment where they're communicating with us. They're telling us how bad it is, how difficult it is. They're telling us about how divisive it is, how corrupt it is, how, uh, you know, these are good people, these are bad people. You know, they're telling all these different things. And the church is sitting back going, well, that's what I, I mean, I've always watched the 6 o'clock news. I've always watched the 6.30 news. And so that's what, you know, that's what I... I've come to believe, and God is saying, and the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. So the question then becomes, are we really saying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? No, we're saying what we're doing, and don't get mad at me now, because I'm preaching really good right now, but what we're doing is saying, your kingdom come, and we're making heaven look like earth. Not that it is, but in our head it is. In our heart it is. We feel more and more alone. We feel more and more powerless. We feel more and more that we can't deal with stuff. I mean, it, it's just constantly we're being bombarded. So we think that there, 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 there's no way out of this. There's no way to change this. And what God has called us to do as his people, is to call, as Abram did, those things that do not exist as though they did. To begin to declare, no word of God shall be void of power. And I'm done listening to all the negative naysayers that are out there that just want to criticize and put everything down and talk about everything that's wrong. And what I want to focus on now is what did God say? Because my part as a believer is to say, your kingdom has come. Now, God, your will be done on this earth. What you say goes in heaven, let's let what you say go here on earth. And the believer, for some reason, fell into some kind of a trap that, well, if he wants it, that's what he'll do. And if that's what he wants to have happen, that's what he'll do. Some type of Calvinistic idea that, look, he's just going to do whatever he wants to do. And the truth is, God enabled the church of his people called by his name, the body of Christ. He put all things under our feet, gave him to be the head over all things. We are to be the ones that are out decreeing and declaring and saying over our nation, over our politics, over our governments, over our, uh, over our finances of the nation, over our finances, over the world. We are the ones that are to be declaring what God has said. 
what God has said. Be it unto me, God, according to your word, not my words, not my thoughts. Oh, look, man, I have just as many goofy thoughts as everybody here. I think, oh, my goodness, things are, what is going on? And if you get with people that are asking the same question, you can really dig a hole for yourself. Can you say amen? But, buddy, I'll tell you, at the water cooler tomorrow, if you start talking about God and who God is and what God has and what God will do, man, I'm telling you, negative Nancy or naysayer or whoever that's there, they're going to be like looking at you like, what planet are you from? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm from the kingdom of heaven. Amen. I'm glad you asked that question because I don't live by the sight that I see. I live by my faith that's real. I live by the faith of what I believe, what the scriptures have taught. And what the scriptures have taught is God is for me, not against me. Hallelujah. How, what, look, I have nothing to fear. God's in this, as it says in Hebrews, he's in it for the long haul. He's not going to bail on me. He's not going to leave me. And I'm going to declare the works of my God in my generation. What is COVID-19 to God? What is cancer to God? But see, if our experience is, and, and look, I've, I've had family members that are in heaven from cancer today. I mean, and, and, and uh, you know, so I'm not being, I'm not trying to like be critical if, you're, if you've doubted about any of this, but I want you to think about this for just a minute. What did God give us? What more could God give his people? Then he granted them the very authority that he defeated the devil when he said, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Now you guys go. What, if, what more could he have done when he said, wait around for a little while and I'm going to give you the power to be able to fulfill that authority. And so you're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And he says, you're going to be witnesses for me everywhere. What more could God give us than the word that says in Ephesians 3.20 that he's able to do exceeding abundantly above everything that we could ever even ask or we could think? He has invested everything that he has in people just like you, the church so that we can go forth and get to VE Day. And the greatest power that God's people have, you all right, Morgan? The greatest power that we have on this earth is the power to pray. The power to pray. Well, Pastor, I've prayed before and nothing changed. Well, you're doubting. Stop it. Smack yourself. Stop doubting and believe. Say, so, well, you're praying for stuff and it hasn't changed yet. Well, here's the thing. Just because it hasn't changed doesn't mean it's not going to change. I mean, Abraham stood for 25 years. I haven't stood that long. So I'm telling you right now, I'm not giving up. I'm not letting go. Hallelujah. His kingdom come. His will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. I want you to stand with me this morning.